Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, there are reports of a deal that could keep the Liberals in power for three more years. We are talking about something that uh, that looks like uh, not a coalition. You're going to hear that from the Conservatives. It is not a coalition government, but it is an arrangement that would see the Liberals and NDP cooperating to spare Canada an election for the next few years. The Prime Minister prepares for a NATO summit on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This is a question that is existential to the West and to the world's stability. And so that's why we will do everything in our power to make sure that we can isolate economically, politically, and and, and diplomatically uh, Russia, and at the same time that we can continue to support Ukraine by providing more weapons and also more very difficult sanctions against Russia. And Scott Aitchison pushes for unity in the Conservative Party. The only way we are going to win in every part of this country is through our unity, by respecting each other, by talking about the big ideas and demonstrating to Canadians that we have the commitment, the courage, the character to be trusted to govern and lead. It's Tuesday, March 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So let's start with the fact that there seems to be a deal that has been struck between the Liberals and the NDP that would allow the Liberals to stay in government for another three years. Tell us what you know. It's astounding, isn't it? Uh, yes, the news of this started to uh, ripple out last night uh, when I, I, I think it, it started to ripple out when the leadership of the party started to consult their MPs. And so we are hearing from multiple sources that the Liberals and New Democrats are talking. They're, the deal was not done last night. They were, they're still... Uh, some ways to go, but I think it's a it's a tentative deal. That yes, uh, in exchange for NDP friendly things in budgets, in Liberal budgets, for the next three years, the NDP would agree to let Justin Trudeau stay in power. Uh, passage of confidence motions, etc. Some of those things include dental care um, as part of a. Uh, and what I'm told, quote, real progress on pharmacare. There's also talk of um, more money for housing and other. I, I don't want to get too much into the details because, as I said, late last night, they were still being uh, discussed yeah. at the highest levels in both parties. But but, yeah, we are we are talking about something that uh, that looks like uh, not a coalition. You're going to hear that from the Conservatives. It is not a coalition government, but it is an arrangement that would see the Liberals and NDP cooperating to spare Canada an election for the next few years. And it, the timing obviously is relevant because we're expecting a budget in the weeks ahead, and this, this would be the time to work something out, right? Yeah, and you know the, the idea was that with all this talk of increasing defense spending, what was going to fall by the wayside. And I think that might have been what propelled the NDP into some kind of action as well is, you know, are all those progressive things we want going to fall off the table yet again, they would say the NDP, because we are, we are looking at increasing defense spending. 
the prime minister, as we know, is headed to Brussels. So this week and the Ukraine crisis has assumed the largest spot in here. So this is a really interesting arrangement. And I think it's going to take a day or two before we know whether the deal is sealed. But that was all the talk in Ottawa last night. Yeah. All right. Let's turn to the crisis in Ukraine. And and the prime minister will be going to a special NATO summit in Brussels later this week. President Joe Biden and the United States will be there along with other NATO leaders. And of course, the backdrop for all of this is a lot of talk about uh, the uh, requirement for NATO members to spend more on defense. Canada has been hinting, the Canadian government has been hinting that they're open to doing that. So I'm sure that's one theme that will continue to be talked about. But overall, what do you expect as the prime minister prepares for this trip? Well, I'm betting today's cabinet meeting, if it's still going ahead, and I believe usually Tuesdays are cabinet days, will be a very interesting one because several ministers made reference last week that they hadn't heard the case being made yet at full cabinet. So I guess there is eventually going to be a discussion there about what goes in the budget. This was not, you know, a month ago. This was probably not uh, on the radar, but we are going to see... um, something for defense and you know we're we're hearing that the world has changed and therefore the budget has to change uh the prime minister leaves tomorrow night wednesday well he will be in brussels on wednesday night he has some meetings there with the european union and then you're right then the there's a full nato summit yesterday it was interesting joe biden the washington uh the white house put out a statement, which was kind of ominous, uh, about Americans should be doubling down and preparing or, you know, battening the hatches against cyber attacks. And that, you know, the White House throughout this has been quite open about their intelligence and what Russia is up to. And a special statement going out about cyber attacks looming uh, is interesting and I'm sure is going to be discussed. Uh, Biden is off to Poland after he goes to NATO, and Poland has been putting forward the idea of a peacekeeping mission, which is not uh, full combat for NATO, but it's a chance for Canada that Canada likes to see itself as a peacekeeper. So I think we should be listening for that as well. And also, you know, more sanctions. Whatever uh, NATO has been acting in lockstep on sanctions against Russia. Canada has been taking somewhat of a leadership role on some of the financial measures too. So I think it's going to be an interesting week for the prime minister and for all the NATO leaders. And certainly there's, you know, not a day goes by where we aren't horrified by what is going on there. And I think this, uh, uh, you know, it, it couldn't come at a better time because I think things are, things are pretty rough there. Yeah, and I think there's a feeling, I'm sure, that the initial sanctions, the the first few rounds of sanctions and, and pressures that have been applied to Russia and to Vladimir Putin and the people close to him, that those had an effect, but they haven't had enough of an effect to dissuade Putin or change the course of events right now. So I imagine there will be some talk about what do we do now, right? That's right. To be fair to the NATO allies, they have said that the sanctions are going to take a while to bite. And you have seen 
Putin's um, language, speeches, the rallies that he's been holding do seem a little desperate. They do seem that that something is hitting him, and you do see that people are speaking out against him. Whether you're right, it hasn't been enough to stop him yet, but there, uh, the argument has been that the sanctions need a little bit longer to take hold. Last week was Zelensky speaking to everybody. They're still not. I don't think they're going to come out of this meeting with a no-fly zone. That's still, as as uh, all the ministers keep saying, a red line. But I, I do think they, they'll double down on even more sanctions. All right, let's turn to the conservative leadership race, Susan, and a couple of interesting developments um, over the past couple of days. Uh, first of all, prominent conservative MP Michelle Rempel-Garner has said she's joining Patrick Brown's team in this race. She She's someone who is whose name has often come up as a potential candidate, but in this case, she's supporting Patrick Brown, uh, which is interesting. Um, and uh, I'm finding the candidacy of Scott Aitchison also interesting from the tone that he's taking and the message that he's delivering. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to win the race, but he's talking a lot about the need for unity and how both conservatives and liberals have contributed to an increasing polarization and they've they've capitalized on issues to drive wedges. These are my words, not his, but that's the tone of what he's been saying. So I, I find that theme interesting, especially in what has the potential to be a very polarizing conservative leadership race. That's right. Uh, actually, I, I had expected Jean Charest to be the guy who's doing a lot of talking on that. But you're right. That is, for Mr. Aitchison, that's, a, that's a, a fascinating. And I think people want to hear that, too. I find uh, my colleagues have also found this in that if you write stories about uh, the need for liberals and conservatives to stop the political partisan nonsense, people want to read those stories. We People really like those stories. And you saw when Joel Lightbound, the, the uh, liberal from Quebec City, spoke out against his own party for polarizing talk around the vaccine mandates too, that, that that got a huge audience as well. I think Canadians really want to hear this. You know, there's this idea that there's an Ottawa bubble and things make sense in here. But I think it turns as many people off, too. So I, I wish Mr. Richardson well with that that message. The Michelle Rempel uh, Garner move is also really fascinating because the, the assumption has been, and it's they're still very early in the race, is that Pierre Polyev had the base sewn up. That that the liberal, the, the pardon me, the conservative base in the West was generally going to be with Mr. Polyev, and he's been spending some time out there too. And Michelle Rempel has a huge following in the West, a massive following. Some have said she may be doing this as a, as a way to increase her vis- visibility as the, being a successor to Jason Kenney. But I think that supporting Patrick Brown is uh, is going to give Mr. Brown a foothold in Western Canada that he may not have had. If she can carry her people to Mr. Brown, that is, Mr. Brown is an Ontario MP. That is a, a fascinating development, and I don't think to be underestimated. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. 
I think NATO's trying to strike a very careful balance, though, between not having this conflict escalate further, recognizing that Russia is the second largest nuclear power on the planet. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In The Hill Times, Michael Harris asks if the West will ever engage Vladimir Putin directly. Harris writes, There is clearly an argument for the cautious position the West is taking. But what would the West do if Putin became so desperate that he resorted to tactical nuclear weapons? And what if he occupied Ukraine and installed a puppet government? Would the West leave it to Ukrainian irregulars and freedom fighters to conduct a guerrilla war or step in? Showing strength in defense of Ukraine, no-fly zone and jets included, is better than awaiting the next outrage from the ex-KGB officer with delusions of grandeur and no conscience. In the Toronto Star, Gillian Stewart argues, it's now clear the truck convoys were never about the pandemic. Stewart writes, the truck convoy may have been forced out of Ottawa, but its followers haven't given up in Alberta. And since Alberta has hardly any COVID-19 public health restrictions or vaccine mandates at this point, they look completely out of touch with the real world when it comes to pandemic policies. They wield their trucks like tanks and weapons. And given the number of stars and stripes on display, they seem to yearn to be just like the January 6th rioters who almost took over the U.S. Capitol last year. Day by day, it becomes more clear that this was never about pandemic restrictions. At Policy Options, Robert Shepard, Everett Lindquist, and Diane Simcevic argue a new approach is needed for reviewing government spending post-pandemic. They write, The pandemic has meant unprecedented spending by the federal and provincial governments, leading to significant budget deficits for some governments and chronic budget shortfalls in others. It has also created expectations on collaborative federalism that will be difficult to reverse. Canada has a window of opportunity to design an overarching policy compass for spending and policy reviews that embraces a multi-jurisdictional approach, a new national spending review process that is aligned with current approaches to cooperative federalism. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa, and Governor General Mary Simon will continue her visit to the Middle East. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, March 22nd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.